this episode, I am speaking with a dear friend and extremely talented Cuban-American actor, director, and playwright, Tony Macy Perez. He's uh, directed plays in New York City, Miami, and Atlantic City. He's been nominated for many prestigious awards for his plays, as well as his directorial talent. Uh, he was nominated as Best Director for Lick the Boot at End Times Vignettes for the Apocalypse 2009, and had a successful run of Sex on Trial at the Duplex Cabaret. As an actor, he's worked with John Leguizamo in She First Met Her Parents on the Subway at the Pearl Theater, and in two of Nilo Cruz's, or is it Nilo Cruz? Nilo. Milo Cruz's first plays at Intar, Adagio, and A Bicycle Country. He starred in The Great Confession for Teatro Avantes Hispanic Theater Festival in South Florida, and in How Alfa Learned About Women at the New York Fringe Festival. He could be seen in films Marcus Story, The Diner, and Cynic Duck, I think that's how I'm saying that correctly. Synecdoche. Oh, oh, sorry, synecdoche, boy, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And most recently, he had a Zoom production of his riveting play, 90 Miles of Separation, which is available on YouTube. And I had the very great pleasure and honor of being in that play uh, many, many years ago, but we'll talk about that. Tony, my dearest friend, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my darling. It's great to see, talk to you and see you. Yes. Um, <laughs> and hopefully, I should say, one of these days, I am recording this with video. Maybe one day I can figure out how to put it up on YouTube. But maybe I need you to help me with that. Oh, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> I'm not the most techie person in the world. So you and I, so let's go back all oh, those many years. Oh, yes. <laughs> many moons ago. Many moons ago where you and I met yes. at a script reading. Mm -hmm. of, I, I forget the play. It was. I a, do too. I do too. A, a Edward Torres or Edmund Torres. Judge I think, Torres. I think it was Judge, it, well, it was Judge Torres's. Script, and I yeah. think it was about a Hungary, and we were at a script reading somewhere yes. on the Upper West Side. Yes. I'd never met you, even though we were both part of Latino Playwrights. Yes. So um, I was part of Latino Playwrights as an actor. Obviously, you were part of um, Latino Playwrights as a playwright, right. as an actor, as right. a director. But that was the fateful meaning. meaning. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, my God. So can you recall much of that meeting? Or, I mean, I, well, I'm I, I remember, I remember re reading through the play together and absolutely falling in love with your voice. And I said, <laughs> I have got to use this woman in my show. And I was writing a play, which was technically four characters, two couples. And I said, nope, I need, I need her in it. I need her in it. And I created this crazy drunken maid <laughs> who stole the show from everybody else. And that was you, my dear. 
That was it. Well, that play yes. was titled, uh, I went on my honeymoon and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Exactly. We, we shortened it to honeymoon. Yes, and exactly. I was thrilled to be part of it, to be considered. We had oh, you were wonderful. a wonderful time. We did. Um, it was a, a hilarious comedy and we had a little bit of a run on the uh we I did love to say off 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 broadway we did yes if yes. it was any more off broadway would be schenectady exactly <laughs> that or the east river because we we're that far east to begin <laughs> with so oh my yeah. goodness it was so much yes. fun it was a and, lot of fun and working with you was just brilliant and oh no thank you well, working with you was a pleasure we we, we had such a good time well such a that good time. Was, and that was it. That was, you know, that's the beginning of our relationship. Which yes, it, lasted yes, it, all these years. Yes, it was. Yeah, we had a great time doing the show. Like I said, you stole the show every night. <laughs> you, you were obsessed with rehearsing a tango scene, if I remember correctly. Well, you know, my uh, partner in that tango <laughs> scene was a very handsome young man yes um, yes he was and you just kept being so professional let's do it again let's do it again i'm like no no i have what i want no 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 let's do it again let's do it again so i get it i think well do you want to mention that actor's name I peter mean, sanders peter sanders, peter sanders was his, is his name yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i loved peter loved working with him peter was, was wonderful great yes. great experience for me not being a serious actor uh, to be considered with that and to be, you know, numbered among that cast, which was just brilliant. But um, talk a little bit about how you started your career. How, you know, a lot of your plays are um, about the Cuban American experience and um, oops, uh, the Cuban American yes. experience. Can you talk a little bit about how did that happen? Well, it's basically my life. I grew up in a, a very Cuban household. And when I stepped out the door, I was in the USA. But inside the house, I was in Cuba. So I grew up very, very biculturally, speaking Spanish at home and all of that. So it, it just affects everything that I, that I do and think about because I, I feel like I'm in between both worlds. Most of the time I, I feel too much of one and not enough of the other. And you, you never really relate to both without having that second one in your head all the time. So a lot of the stuff that I write just comes from that experience. From that, yeah. And so where was this? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Astoria, Queens. Love Astoria. Yes, and yes. And then when I was 14, my parents moved to Miami. I did my high school in Miami and then I left to LA to do my college. And then I came back to New York. Oh boy. So yeah. you, was most of your uh, career based in the city in Manhattan or? Mo most of my writing career, yes. I started out as a dancer. So oh, I danced. It's not all about that. I danced all over the place. A lot of bus and truck tours in a lot of states, Vegas, all of that. But as a writer, yes, yes. The first play I ever wrote, we performed it at the Village Gate, which unfortunately no longer exists. I know. 
but it had a, a, a one act festival and we did it there. And that just started me on the, on the writing path. And I kept meeting people that helped me produce stuff because it was so easy at that time to produce shows in New York. Every, and the little cabaret had a little theater space and for a minimal wage or for a cut of the door, they let you produce a show, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. So we, it used to be the same thing with comedy as well. Comedy. Yeah. Shows. Yeah, exactly. There were so many venues. So many venues. You yeah. Just, you didn't have to go to the big names. You Not at all. I, yeah. I did a few shows at the Cafe Trocadero. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes. Yes, I am. And yeah, which was a little postage stamp size stage. But we had a blast doing it. Yeah. So we started out there. And then the Village Gate saw this particular play and chose it for its festival. So we, we went up to it, which is a very interesting play because it deals with uh, Santeria and a, and a fake psychic and all of that. So <laughs> it, was, it was very, very funny. And the night that we performed, since the Village Gate had different floors with different things going on, there was a salsa band that started drumming during the middle of our show. So it, it looked like it was our background music for the Santeria and it was the drums from the, the floor underneath us. So it worked very well. That's hysterical. Yes, it was. It was. It was not planned at all, but it worked fine. So. Well, that Village Gate was great. I mean, yes, I it was. Many places. I saw a play or a show called Lemmings way back in the, well, I'm not going to say the year, but many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was starring a young uh, John Belushi. Wow. I think wow. John Belushi, I want to say uh, some of the cast of that uh, Saturday Night Live, but it was before they were on Saturday Night Right, right. It was right. Really a great show. But then your plays and how many. Yeah, I saw many, many things. I actually saw the live version of the Brady Bunch. No. They used, they used to do one Brady Bunch episode a night. And it was played at the village game. And I found out later that the woman playing Carol Brady is uh, Jane Lynch. Oh, my goodness. And she was uh, totally unknown at the time. And now, yeah, she's Jane now Lynch. look at her. Yeah, now look at her. <laughs> yeah. So um, back to Queens. Then you came back after college. You went to college in L.A., you said. And then you're back in Queens. Talk a little bit about that, that experience. Coming back to Queens? Yes. Well, I went back to Astoria, which was my hometown. So it was very nostalgic to walk around all, all the streets I grew up in. And nothing much had changed. <laughs> it still looked pretty much the same. And I had this big house with all these uh, you know, typical New York stuff like yeah. three or four roommates at the same time and, and all of that. And wow. then I ended up moving from there to Washington Heights and I was there for two or three years. And, and now, and I'm in Brooklyn. And now you're in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see that? So you're talking about Astoria. Have you been yeah. to Astoria recently? Recently, recently, no, but in the past year, yeah, I used to, I used to go, it's a trek. From where so thinking about another play that I was very, very honored to be part of was 90 Miles, to story, yeah. 90 Miles of Separation. Yes, you were the original cast. I was part of the original yes, cast. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, 
that was a little departure for me because up until that, then I'd only done, I mean, obviously I didn't act that much, but I've only done comedy. So that was a straight play, a very serious topic. And it really um, sort of changed the way I looked at myself in terms of, you know, tapping into my creative flow, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we had, a, we went to, wasn't it in the Lincoln Center? Those it was the Merkin Concert Hall at Lincoln Center, yeah. So that was pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, we were the first dramatic piece done there. Because they, they basically, at that hall, they did ballets and opera master classes. So the man who directed the play, Carlos Salazar, was the stage manager there. And he convinced them to do my play as the beginning of their opening up to theatrical productions other than what they were doing. So we were the first. And that director, Carlos. He's well, fantastic. Carlos, you and I were interviewed by Chad uh, By the weather girl. By Remember? Weather. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They couldn't find anybody else. And it they was couldn't. Midnight or something. We drove in the middle of the night in rain to somewhere in Jersey, which I don't remember, to this little station. And then it was the weather girl who was interviewing us. It was, it was hysterical. And I know. It was Channel 47, but what were the call letters? It was the Spanish-speaking. Oh, I forgot what it was. I forgot. So it is interesting. You are not going to... I don't know if I even ever told you this, that when I got home the next day, I got a call from my nephew. Eric, uh -huh. he uh, said, oh, I saw you on your interview, you, Tony, and the director, I saw you on the interview on Channel 47, and um, I said to him, first of all, the kid can't speak Spanish. He understands Spanish, but he can't. Right. I said, what on earth were you doing? watching midnight or one o'clock in the morning he goes i don't know he was channel surfing and as he was channel surfing he saw my face and went quickly back and he goes wow. i couldn't believe it so i was like wow <laughs> that's wow. how i wasted my 15 minutes of fame on there you go but being interviewed by the weather girl <laughs> that's it but it was a lot of fun and we it was a lot of fun so do you want to talk a little bit about what that play is about? Do you feel like, you know? Well, 90 Miles of Separation, first of all, the title refers to the 90 miles between Havana and Key West. So it was basically how geographically close we are and how socially and politically separate we are. Mm. So it was basically a series of monologues of people that I knew either members of my family or colleagues or friends and how they related to being in this country. Yeah. Being some in the US. Yeah. Some had ad adapted much more easily than others. Some were dealing with different prejudices and stereotypes that came from being Latino or not looking Latino and passing and so forth. So the only character that was still in Cuba was a character you played. That's right which was the most controversial character because she stayed because she agreed with the politics. And she and was in the military. She was in the, in the military and very militant about it. 
and realizes that it didn't work out as planned, but she's still true to her convictions. And she just wants to come to this country for her brother's wedding and doesn't know how dad, who rejected her the minute she said she was a communist, is going to accept her. Right. And that was the, the, the main character there that caused all the friction. Powerful, powerful, yeah. Really powerful stuff. And I love doing, I love every minute of it. So. Oh, you, you were wonderful. We had a great cast. Yeah, great it cast. Was, it was great. It was so, a, the f- funny thing about that, in reference to the time frame, we did it back in 97. So way before all of this 9-11 thing and all of that. Yeah. And you, my dear, had a rifle. So I remember going first down Canal Street to that plastic store, whose name escapes me, but it did everything in plastic. Yeah, yeah. To I get know. the veranda for the actor that's playing Maximo. And then going with my stage manager to Repertorio Español, who were lending us a rifle. And then I brilliantly decided to cover the rifle in a garbage bag so no one knew it was a rifle. Like, you can't see the silhouette. And I sat on the subway, leaning on the veranda, holding the rifle. Oh, I'm like, if that were today, I would be in jail. Yes. And yeah. there would be a million uh, YouTube, yes. I don't know what, yes. TikTok or whatever. The With movie. the words terrorist at the bottom. Exactly. And I just very naively just took the ride all the way uptown to Lincoln Center with my rifle in a bag to give it to you. And I, part of my costume, <laughs> I, I had to get fatigues. Yeah, fatigues, yeah. So I went to a costume place or whatever. No, yeah. actually, I couldn't find it in the costume place. I went to, what do you call that when you buy military clothes? Army, Army Navy? Navy? Yeah. Army Navy? <laughs> and I still have that. Really? Costume. Yes, I still wow. have that costume. I mean, That's great. I'm gonna be wearing it so much. That's great. <laughs> Well, I gave the rifle back just in case. Oh, good. Thank okay. goodness. You know, okay. Can you imagine what would have happened to me? <laughs> exactly. The Lincoln Center, I would have been gone with you. Exactly. Exactly. But, oh, and so the dancer. So, you know, my yes. sister Carmen is disco queen. Yes. I, I have something that you can share with Carmen. This is my mask for COVID. Oh my God! Is that Donna Summer? You got it. <laughs> of course. You but got you, it. <laughs> you, besides being the serious playwright, serious actor, brilliant director, are also a disco. Yes, know, I grew up in the disco era. Yes, and, and I haven't left it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so for you, disco never died. Yeah. No, no, it still still plays. I have two, two disco balls in my living room and everything. So. <laughs> Do you ever, did you ever weave in that, your dance experience? Not just necessarily. Obviously, you were a dancer. So the disco or whatever, did you ever weave that into your plays? Well, the dance experience, I've noticed, has helped me a lot with the directing for blocking and movement. It just, I'm... It's very easy for me to move my actors around where I want them to because I have that dance background. So I know where the bodies are flowing. So it just comes easy to me. But I did write a screenplay that I had a stage reading of a couple of years ago about the disco era and my experiences at Studio 54. 
Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yep. So where could we see it? Or it's, It hasn't been done yet. I, I had a stage reading of it just to hear it and see how it flowed. And it's, as, it's written as a screenplay, which is a lot of money to do. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're talking with music rights and period costumes and stuff like that. So I'm thinking of maybe converting it into a stage play, which is why I had the reading of it to see what, what would work for the stage and what needed to be cut yeah. from it. Because as a stage play, I think it would work very well. I would love to recreate the Studio 54 experience for the audience. That so, is so interesting because one of the episodes from this podcast that the for, or my former co-host James uh, and I recorded we were talking about Studio 54, and after we published that episode, I really said to him, you know, I could see this being converted, the podcast being converted to a stage play where things like Studio 54 would be off, so we'd be sort of off stage. Mm -hmm. um, we'd be talking about our experiences, and then the Studio 54 experience would come on stage. So it's so funny you should say that because I think that's a fascinating time for us. Yes, it is. It is. Whoever is listening to this who is in film or in theater, grab this guy, snatch him up because he's got brilliant plays. So I would love to see that. Yeah, I called it uh, The Last Days of Ecstasy. Oh. And it's more a commentary on the whole era itself rather than just studio 54 it takes place in a in a, a made-up disco that has elements not only of 54 but of all the major discos at the time like uh, the garage and the vault and regimes and stuff like the that garage. so oh i put different elements of it and on stage i wanted to recreate the experience so when we did the reading the guy playing the host character the <clears throat> excuse me, the quote-unquote Steve Rubell character had these little mints in his hands and he'd go to the audience and give them out as if they were quaaludes. <sighs> and he'd go to the two front rows and, and give them out. So just to, to get you into that ambiance. And I wanted, we didn't do it for the reading because it was a reading, but since you have to have dancers fill up the, the stage to hire some sort of a dance company with the, the dancers and they would be online with the audience and they would be the ones that were not allowed in by the doorman and kicked out so that you would experience what 54 was like when people weren't allowed in. Um, so just to get that whole experience going even before the show. And it's so funny that many times I've been <clears throat> to Studio 54 as you have, and we found that with James as well. I mean, we probably passed by each other. It's inevitable. Sure, sure. I mean, it was, it was huge, but I'm sure. just saying, it's very likely that sure. somewhere, somehow, you were standing next to me, I was standing next probably, to you. Probably, probably. That's how New York was. I mean, we could talk probably. about those kinds of experiences. Yeah. So the cows come home. Mm -hmm. exactly but exactly yeah, i mean that's what it was it was mm -hmm. a huge metropolis but a small town quite true Our quite true were very similar those of us who were into that yes and, yes uh, mm -hmm. bless our hearts 
So what you're doing now, um, I know that you just put up uh, 90 Miles of Separation on YouTube. Did a yes. How did that go in this day of uh, social distancing? Well, that's, that's why that happened, because I, I just became a, a TV producer for Brooklyn Public Access a few months prior to this. And then this happened and the TV studio closed. So this is what I wanted to do in the summer. Since 90 Miles is all monologues, I wanted to go to the studio, shoot each monologue individually, and then edit it in the way we did it in the play, in segments. Since I couldn't do it, I said, well, I don't want to, I'm going crazy now being able to be creative. Let me try it on Zoom. And that's how it, that all came about. I figured it'd be easy to do on Zoom because it's all monologues. It's just one person talking at a time, so... And I'll, I'll um, add the uh, link to that YouTube uh, play. Uh, sure. Just, just type in 90 Miles of Separation and it takes you right to it. 90 Miles of Separation. Yeah. Because we did it live. So the, the, the link was only for that Friday night at 8 o'clock that was live. So once YouTube recorded it, I put it on my YouTube channel. And if you type in 90 Miles of Separation, 90 with 90. It'll take you right to it. Now, what's, what's your YouTube channel? Uh, it's just my name, Tony Macy Pettis. Uh, Tony, is there a hyphen? Uh, there should be between the Macy and the Pettis. Okay. Yeah. And I said Perez, being well American. Very American. <laughs> <laughs> you forgive me, I'm sure. Ah, I forgive you. Yeah, that, that's, you know, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> license here, I think. Exactly, exactly. But, um, so what are you doing now in terms of your acting? I know you're doing something really interesting. Could you talk a little bit about what that is? Well, acting, acting on stage, I haven't done that in a while since the Fringe Festival. Uh, that play that you mentioned at the beginning, how Alfo learned about women. I was an Italian baker with seven daughters and a son. <laughs> Very interesting because it required me to actually use a kitchen. Wow. And I'm like, all I can, I can barely boil water. And you want me to do pastries on stage? You're looking for trouble, boy. Those of us who know and adore <laughs> you understand. Yes. Problem. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the other acting I'm doing is uh, I am something called a standardized patient which basically they hire actors to pretend to be patients for medical students to practice their, either their skills or their mock exams on. Wow. So it's a little bit of acting that you do every day because you have to learn the biography of the patient. You have to learn your symptoms, both the ones you talk about and the ones that you have to pretend to have. You get to wear makeup and put bruises and lesions and, track marks if you're a heroin addict and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Well, it can really get serious. It does. It does. I've, I've done the whole range because I work out of different medical schools. So I've done basic one-year, I mean, first-year students doing the basic interview all the way up to psychiatric nurses, pediatric care. I've done cases in Spanish in the emergency room that require translators to see how the translators translate properly to the doctor so it's very interesting right good for you very interesting and a lot of fun you get to act you get to improvise you never know what these doctors are going to say 
Well, yeah, because you could have a script or you could have a bio and no kind of, but they can come out of. Oh, they do. They, they, they do come out of left field. And a lot of them are foreign doctors. So then you have the language situation and they say things that just crack you up because it's so wrong and you can't laugh. What's the most outrageous? Oh, wow. I've had so many. <laughs> I had one guy, judging by his accent, I'm assuming he's from some Slavic country, if not necessarily Russia, but from that area of the world. And he's doing a neurological exam to test my sensation, which is called the dull sharp exam. So basically they take a Q-tip and a toothpick and they go, do you feel, and I'm supposed to differentiate. If, I have, if I'm normal, I can tell you it's dull or it's sharp. If I have a deficiency, I won't feel the sharpness. But he didn't know how to say it, so he takes the toothpick and he says, do you feel my little prick? <laughs> and every time he's touching me, he's like, do you feel my little prick? And I'm biting my lower lip like, God, don't make me laugh, please. Just say yes, I feel, yes, I feel, and keep quiet. It was hysterical. Don't elaborate. <laughs> yes, yes. It was hysterical. Wow. Well, I think, you know. So your audience is our yes. fellow student, students. My what? The audience is your, are your fellow students. They are fellow students. Sometimes they do it in front of people. Sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. It depends on the structures. The ones that are medical students do do it in front of the whole class. So you're sitting in a classroom with their teacher. They're doing me and all the students are there. And then they get to ask questions and critique the student on what they did or did not. Other ones, it's just one-on-one -on -one, like a regular medical consultation. Well, it's a good thing that you can do this online, uh, you know. Yes. Now that uh, well, yes. things are changing. Although I said on my last podcast. Very much so. Was, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what our new normal is going to be like. So mm -hmm. Exactly. That's what we could do. So let's just, you know, embrace this and move forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how is it in the city in terms of, you know, everybody talked about New York in, in terms of the um, virus. And so are you seeing that most people do take it seriously? Well, in my neighborhood, I see it very very seriously i really haven't left my neighborhood because i'm i'm not comfortable taking the subway even though this they're still working so between the virus itself and me hating the heat yeah. i can't see myself wearing a mask for, for 40 minutes inside a subway car i will die so i have not taken the subway yeah i don't like the heat either i know from people who've been there from things the streets are pretty empty yeah. And in my neighborhood, yeah, everybody wears a mask. All the stores say you, you, you're not allowed in without a mask. So good, good. So it, they are taking it very, very seriously. Well, and our numbers have gone down incredibly, so yeah. something's working. Unfortunately, right now, Florida is surging. I know. Yeah, we are uh, keeping ourselves to ourselves. We don't mm. really, we don't um, socialize with anyone. We haven't seen really anyone. Right. Um, a lot of Zoom calls. Zoom. Yes, that's what I've been doing. I pretty much stopped physically going to the schools on March the 12th. Oh, you did? And, and that's the last time I saw another person live. 
but I have been doing little chat rooms with friends of mine and we all get together once a week and, and talk all together. Like we were having a big visit yeah. and that helps to feel less isolated. Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. I have a couple of standing Zoom calls yeah. as well. I think it really helps to see each other, see the reaction. Actually, that's why I like to videotape this podcast because you and I are actually looking at each other. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there are reactions and stuff. Sure. I look forward to learning how to do a YouTube, which we could, we, we don't have to bore the uh, listeners with uh, my inability to, to. Oh, me too, please, believe me. The concept of it is, you know. Believe me. But, the day we did the live Zoom thing, I, I almost had an aneurysm. Really? <laughs> insane, insane. Wow. I messed everything up. So, what was or is your favorite play? Of the ones that obviously you wrote. I mean, there's three million plays in the world. The ones that I wrote, probably Requiem for a Life. Yeah, great. Also great. Because I wrote it about my father. Yeah. And the whole bicultural thing that we were talking about before. It was my attempt to understand him since he was so old world and I was so Americanized. I think that added to whatever friction we had in our relationship. Yeah. So I wrote the play about trying to understand where each of, each of us was coming from. And, and that one I did turn into a short film. That's right. Where could we see that yeah. film? That one, I, it, I've been sending to the festivals, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it on my YouTube channel. Yes. So that everybody can see it. I think I was in a staged reading. Well, when we did 90 Miles, Requiem was the first one because we did them both together. But it was I... Peter Sanders played my son. But you did see a stage reading at Latino uh, playwrights first. And didn't I play an aunt or something? Or I... No, there's only, there's only a father and a son. There's nobody else. All right, so I'm thinking of a completely different play. I yeah, we did do a stage reading of it at Latino workshops. You might have seen it there. Yeah. But then when... We... Since that play is about 40 minutes long and 90 miles is about an hour long, we, we did it together at Lincoln Center to have like a full two-hour theater experience. So we did Requiem first and then you guys came on stage to do 90 That's miles. That's what I was thinking of. But. Yeah. And Peter Sanders, your tango partner, my was my son in the, in the play. My so. beloved tango. Yes, exactly. such a ball. So um, back to... Latino playwrights, where, uh -huh. you know, where we met. It's no yes. longer Latino playwrights, although the organization is still alive and well, still being um, uh, chaired by Carla Pinza. Um, but that was also, we had several, several experiences with stage readings afterwards. Yes, yes, yes. It was such a great concept. It was. It was great. To bring it was great. forward, you know, that Latino playwright experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the many different moving pieces because it wasn't just about playwrights and actors. It was also about the directors. It was about the props people. It was right. kind of the full breadth of that. I did. Right. It was so much fun. It was. I met a lot of great people there. A lot of them, I use them in my shows. And 
it came to my house after she had moved out. I guess she'd left it as a forwarding address or something. I don't know how. It just came. It's a little newsletter and it had an advertising looking for Latino playwrights. And I answered the ad. I interviewed with Carla and I joined. Yeah. Very serendipity because it had nothing to do with me. It came addressed to her and everything else. Wow, that is just, interesting. Yeah. How yeah. the universe knows. The universe. Uh, the universe definitely knows because she moved to Chelsea. So there was no reason why her forwarding address wouldn't be her apartment in Chelsea. Right. How did it come to me in Astoria? I have no idea. But, that, but it came to me. Well, I'm so, just so thrilled that you were... Uh, drawn to that. I know I was there because of Carla. Right. Carla and I, we grew up in the same building in the Bronx and uh, she was an actor and she was on many plays. I mean, she's has what a resume she has. But mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. She was looking out for us, the kids. I mean, I, I have a headshot that she um, arranged for, and it's just not for me, for my sister Carmen and my sister Ilya, the three of us, uh, we have headshots uh, that she was always very interesting, interested in getting us out there and kind of tapping that creative uh, thing in all of us. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, that's how I became part of Let's right. Rights administratively, I helped her with that. I was the treasurer, this and that. And then um, I did uh, do a lot of the staged readings, that was script readings, I should right, say. Right, right, yeah. Staged readings. Yeah, we did a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was really a great experience. And I, I even did one at, uh, at Tribeca uh, for Robert De Niro. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The girl, the girl who played my sister was uh, Annika, who was the granddaughter of uh, Anita Velas Mitchell. Yes, yes. Who directed the first stage reading of Requiem. Oh, I didn't so, realize Yeah, that. when Carla first did the stage reading, Anita directed it. And then Annika played my sister in this reading at Tribeca. Wow. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really to... I know we're running out of time, but to really the 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 wealth of Latino talent. Oh yes, yes. In the world, but especially in New York, I'm. Oh, definitely. It just is. Definitely, yep. I just directed a play in Spanish last year through an actress that I met. Which play was that? The play is actually in English. It's called the the Trapped Language of Love. It was written by an Irish playwright. But the actress is from Chile, and she translated into Spanish for this one-act festival at the Producers Club. And I directed her. So two-character play, very cute, about two very shy, shy co-workers who want to get to know each other but are so shy they can barely say hello to each other. So in their minds, they speak in this very elevated sort of Elizabethan English to romance each other. And they go through an entire meet love and breakup relationship in their heads while they're having lunch. Wow. <laughs> Very cute. And I directed it in Spanish at the producer's club. That's great. So yeah, there's a lot of Spanish talent out there. Well, Tony, uh, first of all, it's so brilliant to see you. And you too. You too. My love for you has just, it's 
bottomless. <laughs> Thank you. You, I feel the same way about you. I was just watching some old pictures last night, and you you came up in a lot of them. Wow. Well, <laughs> yes, in front of kettle of fish at Pollo Loco. All Pollo of, I'm, Loco. Like, I'm like, oh my god. No. Yeah. Not the Pollo Loco of today. The Pollo Loco of then. Yes, the Pollo Loco down in Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Yes. 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 Which no longer exists either. I still have fond memories of that place. Yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. Colombian place. It was mostly. It was a Colombian place. Yeah. Yeah. Because it had arepas, which. It did. It did have arepas. I think it's tasteless, but you know, to me it's like tofu. But anyway, it is what it is. But um, wonderful, wonderful. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe this podcast will become a play. Hey, you never know. Direct me again. There you go. If we do the, the Studio 54 thing, there you go. There you go. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll put you in body glitter and gold <laughs> lame, and we're good to go. You, well, know. you know, when it comes to glitter. You're good to go. <laughs> never enough. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Tony, again, a thousand thanks. Oh, no. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. And Me also, too. Uh, the page for this on Anchor will have all of the various links to right, terrific. How to get to see some of Tony's stuff. And you'll come back, I hope. Yes, definitely. Anytime you want me. When we want an update, I'll, okay. uh, I'll uh, have you back. All right, great. Terrific. Well, thanks, listeners. Thank you, darling. Thank you, Tony. My, my pleasure. Thank you. And I'll see everybody next time. Great. Terrific. Ciao, y'all. Bye, darling.